Welcome to another episode of the Loving Life After Loss podcast. I am your host, Marie Alessi. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, lovely people. This is Marie Alessi with Sarah Darren for yet another Up Spiral Grief interview. And I cannot tell you how excited I am to have Sarah here. This means so much to me because Sarah is in her busiest season right now and I'm going to get you to introduce yourself in a minute Sarah. Um, I came across you on LinkedIn and I heard about the incredible work you do and I really felt like I needed to bring you here live to share about what you do because some people already know Adam Blatch and we had him here to talk about uh, Feel the Magic and the camps they run and then all of a sudden I realized there's somebody out there overseas who offers something similar and maybe even way bigger and this is not about comparing but this is about growing our network and growing our resources for people who desperately need this so Sarah thank you so much for being here today it means the world to me and would you do us the honor to introduce yourself to our audience please absolutely thank you so much for having me and for that introduction. Um, before I introduce myself, I just want to even tell you how, like, what how this is so special to me as well. We at camp, which I'm going to tell you about in a minute, um, mm-hmm. we talk about and, and have read a book called The Invisible String. It's a children's book, mm-hmm. and it talks about how everybody's connected by these strings, and you can't see them or feel them. You can feel them with your heart. And I, I love this. <laughs> it's, it's right. It's it's one of those yeah. that we you know we use. Obviously, we talk about grief. Yeah. Um, I love that this string is coming all the way from Maine in the United States to where you're sitting in Australia, like just the way that this has spread and the strings of even the listeners that are um, listeners and watchers today. So Mm. um, I just really appreciate the the way that that is growing, but um, anyway, jumping in, (laughs) (laughs) Um, my name is Sarah Darren, as you mentioned, and I'm the founder and CEO of an organization called Experience Camps. Mm. We started in 2009. Um, really to give kids who had had at that time, just a parent who had died an Mm. an opportunity to come to summer camp for a week and find their joy and find their healing and really explore um, all the things that grief is. It has Mm. grown since then in a number of different ways. Um, And we've all grown from it in a number of different Mm. ways. I can say certainly I have. And now we, uh, from those first kids that we had in Maine in 2009, we had 27 boys that year. It has grown to, we have a thousand kids coming to camp this summer at five different locations around the United States. Um, We are now girls and boys and non-binary and everything else. Um, Mm. And we're really just continuing to grow and expand to reach more kids that need to find their community, find their tribe, find their people Mm. who get it. And that's a really, uh, that's kind of the underlying message of everything we do is just being with a community of people who understand what it's like to go through what these kids are going through. Mm. I'm, I'm literally sitting here and having goosebumps because this is so beautiful. You know, it's incredible how much this has grown. And I would actually love for you to take us back to the start. How on earth did this come about? What's, what's your background, if you don't mind me asking? How did you come to actually start something so incredible like this? Where did the idea come from? Yeah, it's funny. I, I get that question, obviously, a lot. And I think yeah. people assume it came from my own grief, which, mm. uh, you know, many grief organizations do come from yeah. a personal story. Um, yeah. My personal story with this didn't start with grief. Um, I mm-hmm. married into summer camp. 
I met my husband. Mm -hmm. He's the owner and director mm -hmm. of, of a summer camp in Maine mm -hmm. and just, you know, traditional boys summer camp. That's why we started with mm -hmm. boys actually. Yeah. And, and I married into it. I'd come for, I'd been in the corporate world. I was um, in it and, and finance and nothing to do with summer camp, nothing wow. to do with grief, <laughs> nothing to do with children, even <laughs> though I love yeah. children. Um, and I found myself kind of thrown into this world and seeing really what was an opportunity to take this incredible platform that is summer camp with the mm. friendship and the character building and the values and all the things that goes into summer camp and applying it to kids who maybe don't get that opportunity. So we decided, yeah. decided to start a nonprofit using mm. the weeks that we had in the tail season after our, our regular summer camp was over. And as we were developing, getting the paperwork done and everything else, there was another camp that reached out to us that was a girls camp. And they said, hey, we mm. just started this, this bereavement program, this grief camp, mm. and we're looking for some, something for the brothers of the girls who go here. Is that yeah. something you would And it was one of those things, and I've heard this over and over with people who learn about us now. It's one of those things where if you haven't been through it yourself, it doesn't mm. occur to you. You might not yeah. realize that's something that should exist. But once it's in front of you, when somebody says like, oh, a camp for kids who've had somebody that died, of, of, of mm. course that needs this. Of course there yeah. should be a place. Yeah. for this thing that, that so many other people don't understand. Mm -hmm. And what's so special about camp is that it brings people together, right? But to be able to bring yeah. people together that are going through something so uniquely similar um, or even uniquely yeah. different, right? But they've yeah. all had this thing that, that connects them. Yeah. Um, it just needs such perfect like sense. string, invisible string. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yep. And you know, obviously since then, as life goes on, like there's been people in my life that have died and I, I certainly can apply a lot of what I've learned and, and the way I feel like yeah. it all, I have a better language around grief, but mm. I think I love, I, I love that you say that a better language around grief. I really needed to highlight mm -hmm. that. It's just, so oh, I could write chapters yeah. on that, right. As could anybody mm. who understands the language of grief. Yeah. Um, but I think the biggest thing for me has been, you know, every story I hear and I've heard thousands now over mm. the years doing this becomes a part of my story. Yeah. And I think that's what's so special about, as we talk about it, we all hold a little piece of each other's grief. It mm. makes it a little bit lighter. And yeah. so I, you know, consider myself as somebody who gets to, I have the privilege of holding mm. um, all of the stories of the kids and the adults that I've met over the last 14 years doing this. And that's, that's my grief story. That is so incredible because like in our pre-chat, I said, you know, I know what you do, but I don't know the beginning and are you happy to discover it in front of camera with me? So I, I love that you share that story. It's so beautiful. And you're right. You know, a lot of people that I interview here come from their own personal grief story. And then like same here, you know, um, I started loving love after loss through my own personal grief story, but I really love what you say, you know, that language. And also one thing that I really want to highlight, and I think it so applies to the movement and uh, the ones that are on the receiving end, that at the beginning, you think you're all, all alone in this. You really think there's nobody else out there who experiences the same amount of heartache or sadness or grief. And uh, I was the exact same, you know, when I first started Loving Love After Loss, I seriously thought that I was all alone in the attempt to bring joy back into the life of grieving people. Um, you know, I started off with widows, but it very soon 
um, spread into all sorts of people who are experiencing grief. I don't want to reduce my services to widows only just because that's who I am and that's who I can relate to the most. But it really grew into this beautiful movement where people just hold space for each other, where there is so much love and healing offered. And I couldn't find that anywhere at first. Everywhere I looked, there was grief groups, but the focus was always on the sadness and on the grieving together and on the drag me down message with all due respect because you know we all have these stories and and they are heavy and we need people to hold space for that then to bring the hope and the happiness and the joy and all of that back into that um space of grief you know lately we've talked so much in in my movement with friends of mine also due i've just shared with you you know my father-in-law just passed away and we have shared so much about this coexisting of emotions that there can mm -hmm. be grief and joy sadness mm -hmm. and love and the sad memories and the happy memories and that all coexists so Sarah share a little bit about what you actually do in this camp and and then we'll we'll later on ask you uh, to share a few links as well so people can actually reach out to you and find more but tell us a bit about what can we expect when we send our children to your camp I mean, what you just described, I was like, yes, that <laughs> um, it, it's all things, right. It's meeting kids where they yeah. are and yeah. what you were describing in, you know, feeling like you didn't know anybody else or feeling alone in that. I mean, for mm -hmm. kids, it can be so much, you know, even, even such a deeper version of that, right. Because with, yeah. with their peers, kids are, are, you know, just by design, a little bit awkward <laughs> talking about feelings a lot of the time mm -hmm. where they say, things, they blurt things yeah. out. A lot of kids who are grieving will just kind of not even go there because they're afraid of what somebody will say. They're afraid of making yeah. their friends uncomfortable. They're afraid of making maybe their, their surviving parent even more sad. Mm -hmm. And they mm -hmm. just kind of keep it quiet. They keep it to themselves, which just creates more of this sense of isolation. And yeah. it just strips away so much of the joy of childhood to your point. Mm -hmm. And so they come to camp and it's all there. It's all there waiting for them. So let me just mm. take you through. And actually, as you mentioned, we're, we're in the middle of camp right now there. This is our season. So we have yeah. um, four of our camps across the country going on right now. We're in week two. Mm. Today was arrival day at our California mm. camp. So kids all arrived by bus. They pull mm -hmm. in. And I will tell you that 99% of kids coming to our camp don't want to come. I actually got a, a text from a, a caregiver earlier. She said, my 16 year old, this was from our last week, came home so happy. Um, but she was, you know, she was so resistant to go. She called it stupid mm. grief camp. And I was like, oh, yeah. it's going to be the name of my book, stupid yeah. grief camp. Every kid, yeah. you, you say, hey, do you want to go? You want to go to way to camp with strangers and talk about your feelings for a week? Yeah, no way. Yeah. No one thinks they want to do that. Mm. Um, so they all come in like a little bit resistant, their shoulders up by their ears and nervous and the mm. bus pulls in and there is literally a giant dance party waiting for them. <laughs> the counselors are there with signs, the music's blasting. Everybody's like hands mm -hmm. in the air. We got to make a tunnel with our arms and they run through and it is <sighs> like it's instant joy. They come in and you can see like they climb down the steps of the bus and their shoulders start to come down and they're like, mm. oh, Oh, this is going to be okay. Yeah. Um, you get right into it. The first, you know, 18 hours, 24 hours, like we're, we're hard playing. We get mm -hmm. out there, we're moving around, we're, you know, the music's going, we're feeding them s'mores, like all of the good things, all the fun things are <laughs> happening. And it's all by design, right? Like that's mm. plays the common language of kids. We need to connect them to that childhood element of that 
that development of themselves where Mm -hmm. they can reestablish themselves as kids. They can find connection with others through play. You throw a ball back and forth to kind of break down those barriers and break down Mm -hmm. that, that tension of what they've maybe been feeling at home where nobody understands them. And Mm. that first night we typically, you know, have a little bit of little campfire, kind of a campfire light. And we'll just say to them, you know, look around, everyone here has been through something similar to what you've been through. This might be Mm. the the first or the only time in your year or in your, in your week, in your life Mm. that, that that's true where everybody around you left and right gets it. Yeah. And it's, this sets the foundation for conversations that are going to happen, openness that's going to happen the exploration of all of those feelings that they've been having. Um, and then back to playing. So it's really, it's really a beautiful blend. Um, it starts with camp, you know, 85% Mm -hmm. of the day, 90% of the day is just playing. And, you know, again, all those, all those shenanigans. And then we, you know, it's a clinically informed model. So we have master's level clinicians, we call them grief specialists Mm -hmm. that are also there facilitate peer support opportunities. So we do a sharing Mm. circle, the first full day of camp where the kids can share their stories. They can hear other kids' stories. Um, They can just pass a photo around and say nothing. It's Mm. whatever feels right for them, but we're making space. We're holding space, as you said. Um, And we'll do, you know, different activities, grief activity, movement activities, art activities, things that help them build their toolkit for coping skills, help them express themselves in the ways that kids are meant to. Um, but I always laugh and this happens every single year. We'll be in a sharing circle, right? Which will be like, let's say first period of the day or second period mm-hmm. of the day. And it gets heavy. As you might imagine, mm-hmm. there's tears. Yeah. There's a lot of, you know, kids sharing their very raw emotions, the volunteers or adults that are there to support them mm-hmm. and feel, I mean, I, in all of them that I've been through, you just feel this weight, this, this heaviness of these kids experiences and lives. And then you'll hear the bugle call to go to the next period, do, 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 do. And yeah, you know, it's time to go to, <laughs> must have to the or the pool <laughs> or softball and the kids jump up. They're like, let's go. And they're often running to the next thing. We, the adults are like, oh, what yeah. just happened? You know, <gasps> Switch their state but like to, that. It's incredible. Yeah. But mm. to your point, the kids can move between those things. They yeah. do it very naturally and they want mm. to, we need to give them yeah. permission to move to the joy instead mm. of expecting that they're going to sit there like we do kind of holding on to the weight yeah. and holding on to happiness, they are so able to transition into the lightness because that's where yeah. they're meant to be. They're meant to be in yeah. the childhood, be in the joy. So yeah. giving them the space and the ability to do that, it just lightens everything for them. It gives them all the permission to be who they are and what they need to be in those moments. Yeah. I, I love this so much because I can only imagine, you know, them switching like that. And, and even in a day-to-day life, I often have this experience where, you know, some, something would come up and, uh, I'd be triggered as a mom and I'm thinking, okay, you know, like I, I know how to work with my triggers 99.9% of the time, but you know, something comes up and, and I'm sitting here and two seconds later, my son has moved on and I'm just saying my son, I've got two because it works for both of them. And mm-hmm. I'm just still sitting with the emotion and I'm the one holding on to it. And I'm like, why, why is it so easy for you to, you know, skip away. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting here with this with this ball of emotion that I really don't like. And I, and I think we can learn so much from our children to uh, move forward, switch state, you know, like whatever language you want to use for that. I want to go a bit back, though, to the beginning of what you just said. 
because this to me is a really huge thing and um, I feel that I might be asking this question for so many parents watching this here because I was in the exact same situation about four years ago. Four years ago, I said online and Googled, you know, what? Uh, how, can I, how can I support my sons through that? Because for me, it is so different to hold space for my clients. And I feel this is my expertise. This is what I'm really good at. And I feel very comfortable and capable in that situation. Yet when I switch to my kids, I become mom. I'm not the coach anymore. I become mom and I'm vulnerable. And I'm like, am I doing the best thing? And you're questioning yourself, you know, do you hold enough space? Do you do the right thing? And are they really okay? Or do they just tell me they're okay because they think they need to protect me because I've got two boys, as I said, and they really stepped into this protector role. So for me to teach and to, to find that balance between Yes, my older son is now the uh, eldest male in the family, but you're also 14 years, 14 years old. You're a child and you, you're meant to be a child and you're okay to be a child, you know. So there's, there's a lot of balancing acts. So in all of that, in the finding the balance and finding the new normal, and back then he was only 10, not 14 like today, I'm sitting here Googling and I'm finding this, as I said, the Australian version of what you offer, you know, which was Feel the Magic Camps. And I... I put an application in and they told me there's a six months wait list. So I want to talk about all these things with you as well. And then their spot came along and they did get a spot. And I am being very open here. I suggest the idea to my sons and I'm all excited that they've got a spot and I'm doing it as careful and as enthusiastic and as beautiful as possible. And I get a, nah, I don't want to be yeah. with all these sad kids. <laughs> I'm not stupid. <laughs> wow, exactly. So, and you mentioned that, and that's why I wanted to share that. I was in the exact same situation. So here was I thinking, wow, okay, my kids have healed that much. There's not, and there was no way that I could have forced them. But mm. now you're telling me 99% of the kids don't want to be there. And I'm like, oh, my God, where were you four years ago? I needed somebody to say that to me. And, of course, now it makes sense. In hindsight, it makes sense. So please tell us if you have any, any ways, how can we? convince our kids let me put it that way to actually come along what do you do what do you say to them how can you can't force kids to do that but how do you suggest it in the nicest possible way to actually get them across yeah, the it, line I don't know that I have the exact perfect answer for that I think mm. you know for us what we what I encourage people to do is they, I sh they show them our video because the video, while there are, you know, bits of it that talk about the grief, like you'll see yeah. if you watch our highlights video, this is overwhelmingly fun. Mm -hmm. um, it's their sports, there's the dance parties there. And a lot of kids, once they get to that point, they're like, okay, maybe. Okay. And they start maybe, to kind of yeah. along a little yeah. bit. Um, I think part of it is knowing your kid. I mean, there's some kids mm -hmm. that really don't want to go and shouldn't go because it's mm -hmm. not their thing. It's not the thing that's yeah. going to help them. Um, yeah. There's other kids who you know, one-on-one -on -one therapy is not the thing that's going to help mm. them. There's just there's yeah. something for everyone and it's going to be different in different parts of their life. So yeah. I think it's partly kind of trying to figure out and navigate what is right for your kid at that time. Mm. And then I think it's a little bit of once you, you as the parent believe that this is the right thing, if you do think that is, it yeah. is kind of encouraging and maybe pushing it a little bit and saying, I, what I always say is, let them know you believe in them. When parents start to hedge, mm. caregivers start to hedge a little bit, then it's showing them that you're nervous about it. So maybe yeah. I should be nervous about it too. But if you say to a kid, I think you I can agree. be successful here. I think this is good for you. Mm. I want you to do this because it'll help you and it's going to help me. 
and yeah. kind of encourage. Um, yeah. But again, you know, I mean, to your point though, these kids have already had a lot of control taken away from them. Mm. So you don't want to push it so far that it breaks. Um, yeah. It is a delicate, it's a delicate dance and it is, it's individual. So I can't say for every kid, but um, I think it, the more you can bring them along to whatever that thing mm. is, maybe it's not camp, but helping them find what it is instead of just kind of stuffing it down, staying in their rooms, playing video games, like mm. bringing them into whatever their thing is going to be. That yeah. isn't isolation. I think that's the most important part. Yeah. We don't heal well in isolation, don't we? Mm. And I love that you say it's a delicate dance, you know, because it truly is. And uh, what I hear from what you just shared is it's probably the parents being convinced first that their kids are safe there because I I think what I didn't realize back then and I'm being completely open and vulnerable here is how worried I still was are they going to be safe there are they going to be okay there you know can you still hear me are you muted now okay cool um no no it's all good um (laughs) So, yeah, uh, you know, that, that the parents to come on board first and to make sure that they really trust in that. They trust that my child, my kids, kids are in a really um, good position there. They are well looked after. They are in the right space. And it is confronting. And uh, as I just shared before, you know, my father-in-law passed away two weeks ago and I was there with my boys and I held space for them and it did trigger a lot, you know, of, of my husband's passing four years ago and a lot of memories came back. And um, my older one dealt with it very differently to my little one. My little one fell apart. It really brought so much up for him. And uh, it's almost like he's now in a space where I think it would even be more suitable or easier for him to do that rather than four years ago. So I'm sharing this because I think there might be parents out there who think, oh, maybe it's too late now or maybe it wasn't the right time. Sometimes the right time only comes later. Have you, can you share a little bit from your experience? Uh, what is there like a usual time frame where, where kids come along where you say, oh, it's, it's that and that fresh or that and that long or is it the complete mix? It's such a mix. Um, one story that sticks with me so clearly, there was a boy who came to camp, I think when he was nine or 10 years old and his father had died by suicide. And we knew that because, you know, it was in his information, but he, yeah. every he to a sharing circle that first year he passed mm-hmm. and that's an option. We give everybody, you don't have to say anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he was very quiet. He would go down during like free swim. He would read a book didn't really engage. And we were like, maybe he's just not getting anything out of this. I don't know. Came back the next year. Same thing. Very quiet. Didn't share. Did that for four years. Came back every year. In his fourth year, one of his counselors who had been with him all through this pulled him aside. And he said, you know, I know that I know how your dad died. My dad actually died the same way. I don't know if you know that you've probably heard me talk about it. He said, if you ever want to talk about it, just with me, I'm here for that. And I'll do that with you. And he opened up and he told his story to this one counselor. At the end of the week, we do what's called our closing campfire. So the whole camp sits around. We have, you can light a candle for your person who died. And every, most kids will get up and say something or tell their story. Um, But this boy never had before. So in that fourth year, he stood up at the campfire and he told his story in front of the entire camp. And he was ready. It took it took a person inviting him into that space a little bit differently than he had been. Yeah. And it took him four years to be ready to do that. And this is somebody who'd been oh, coming yeah. to Greek camp for four years. Yeah. So I share that because, I mean, that's one story, but it's, we have kids that come to camp who 
had somebody die months before, years mm. before, kids mm. who had a person who died before they were born, when they mm. were in utero, wow. kids who had a sibling yeah. that died before they were even, you know, a twinkle in the eye. Um, mm. So it looks so, so different for everybody. And it, and it comes to kids at different times. Yeah. They, this is part of the same way that children develop at different stages, right? Just generally yeah. childhood development, their yeah. grief develops along with that also. And the way they understand grief when they're nine is very different than when they're 15. Mm. Yeah, as absolutely kind of to the choir, I'm sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it just depends. This is, you know, this is why I think it's a constant reevaluation to really mm. understand where are they today? Where are they this year? Where are they this week? And what yeah. do they need in this moment? Um, and a lot mm. of that just comes from asking them. Um, I don't think we give enough voice to kids in their grief. Mm. A lot of times yeah. we, we sort of take our own expectations of what grief should look like and yeah. just assume that and then try to fix if it doesn't. Um, yeah. But a lot of times if we ask them, they have a lot to say and it's mm. going to change over time as well. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. Like uh, even I personally got so much out of that story of that little boy because, you know, like as a mom, you are always in that situation where you're like, do I give them enough support? You know, do they get what they need to heal to be able to talk about it? And I think that's the biggest thing that I'm taking away from our conversation here today, Sarah, is that giving them the right language, giving them a voice to speak in the right language to actually express what they are experiencing because that is such a big thing you know I was very fortunate and I want to mention this here quickly that I had um, two siblings come and uh, do this interview with me here to talk about grief and uh, it was absolutely amazing it was Ali and Daniel Turek and uh, they are now I think 25 and 20 or something I, I might get the age wrong I think and Daniel is 19 but uh, they shared from their perspective how they lost both parents and how they grew through that and how they grew and, and that had such a strong bond and Daniel is now moving on to helping at, at these camps here in Australia and it's just so incredible to watch people go through that and with different support and with different mindset and different perspectives have got such different outcomes and to find something like these camps that you offer to give them the best support and the most beautiful perspective and a healing perspective is a gift that is so invaluable you know like I I shared with you before I watched a, a few of your videos and I want to actually share that one in particular also because it's just a very short clip uh, two and a half minutes to share a bit about the camp and I'd, I'd also love for you um, Sarah if you can to share the link about the camp that you mentioned before where people can actually watch it where they can get their kids to watch it mm -hmm. uh, we'll be sharing a few links where you can find more information and how to reach out to Sarah and, and you know um, find out more about the camps but uh, for me to to see that the different approach um, and the ripple effect that this had and the, the number that I picked up was, he said, 450,000 hours with grieving children. And that clip was from 2020. So I can only imagine the numbers have yeah, gone up since. <laughs> and I'm just absolutely gobsmacked by the work that you do. I just, in, in behalf of everyone watching this, want to say thank you so much for the work that you do and for the opportunities that you offer for these children my heart is overflowing. Seriously, I had all the emotions just listening to you. And uh, please do share with us before we go two things. First of all, 
um, how can people best find out about the work that you do? Um, so we're experiencecamps.org is our website. Um, we have a lot of really good content. Also, all of our handles are at experience camps on social media. Yeah. Um, that's one of the places that we are giving voice to those grieving children. Um, and that's, a, it's something I'm really proud of is how we've taken them and, and been able to amplify it out into the world to teach others yeah. about the experience of grieving kids. So we're on TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn and all of the places. Um, but TikTok in particular has been one that a lot of people are finding us there and really connecting mm -hmm. to Perfect. the stories and the ways that kids are talking about their own grief. Um, yeah. So that's one that definitely encourage people to check that out and all the social mm -hmm. media cha channels as well. Yeah. Um, we have a blog website as well that speaks to a lot of these topics, a lot of the, the language of grief and yeah. you know what, what kids it. are telling us they need, even adults are telling us they need in the ways that we want to show up for each other in grief. Yeah. So perfect. Like we're definitely going to be sharing all those handles and a couple of those links. Maybe we pick a couple of favorites and then you can Google your way through uh, the yes. entire, uh, yeah, the entire experience literally. And I, I actually have to put my glasses on. I want to share one, one uh, comment that we just got through. I love how Sarah says that grief is going to change over time. Our own adult grief does. So why wouldn't theirs also be ever changing? Uh, thanks so much, Alina. I couldn't agree more. It, it's like, a, it was exactly what I was thinking, actually listening to you, you know, our grief changes, our perspective changes, and sometimes it changes like in the moment and other times over weeks. So I, uh, yeah, I've certainly watched my children go through massive changes around their grief and also the way they handle it. They talk about it, the language they have found through it. And uh, I really love that you are here to offer that, to support that. So thank you, Shalina, for that comment as well. And last but not least, Sarah, I'm going to hand you back to you. Is there any um, last statement or any wisdom that you want to share before I let you go with everybody watching here or any word of advice if people are, you know, sitting on a fence or not knowing, I'll hand that back to you. I, one thing that you made me think of earlier when you were talking about your boys, um, and I think it sounds like from a lot of people that are listening and watching, this is maybe a similar concern. I've seen so many kids now, we've been doing this for 14 years. So I've seen kids that have come into the program, have grown up, now come back as counselors. They are adults. And I, we have a lot of volunteers as well that experienced grief when they were young. And mm. what I want people to know is that they're going to be okay. Mm. Now, when kids are given support, when they have somebody that cares about them, they, there's, there's growth. They, they work mm. through it. They can work through it if they're given the right tools, the right people, yeah. the right openness and opportunity to talk about it and push through it. Um, but they, they, they are thriving. These kids are, are going to be amazing. Um, and the fact that you're here talking about this, that everybody's here listening and talk, that tells me that those kids are going to be okay. Cause there's somebody that yeah. loves them and cares for them and supports them. And that's what yeah. these kids need. Yeah. Thank you so much. Like I, I really have no other words than say thank you from the bottom of my heart for being here today, for sharing even in your busiest time. So for everybody watching this, um, Sarah will also be uh, making an appearance in our resource corner. So we'll actually be recording a little intro video for that now. And for anyone who hasn't heard about that, please go and check out our resource corner. It's in Loving Life After Loss in our movement in the guide section. So Sarah and I will be sharing lots of links and handles and everything that you can use to find her, to find out more about these camps and Sarah 
thank you so much for being here today and for what you shared. I love what you do and my heart is overflowing. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for, for sharing our story and yours. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you so much, everyone. This is Sarah and Marie. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you enjoyed the show and you would like to find out more about Loving Life After Loss, please visit mariealessi.com. I shall see you next week. Bye.